Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Studio Insights. We have the Bell Vista Studios team, Kim, Victoria, and me, Hannah. And today we're very, very excited to have a guest with us, Nicole. She's also in the learning and development industry. So yeah, she's gonna be here to ask us questions today and learn with us. And for any of you who don't know, the intent of Studio Insights is for us to be curious, to learn from each other and to become better practitioners and better at what we do in the learning and development space. So thank you so much, Nicole, for joining us today. It's awesome to have you here. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm, I'm really excited to, to get started and, and participate in this conversation. So thank you. Awesome. Mm -hmm. So we'll start with you, Nicole. Do you have any questions for us that you would like to ask? Yes, I have four questions that I prepared earlier and <laughs> um, <laughs> without sounding like a cooking show host. Um, hmm, the four questions that I have, uh, some questions that I had when I started out in the industry all that time ago. And uh, the fourth question that I have is a question that I've got in my mind at the moment. So it's very current and very topical. So, um, so from an, an instructional design point of view, um, you're speaking with the, with the client or the business unit that you're um, dealing with. Assessments, knowledge checks, quizzes, do they, nearly, do they have to be in every module? Do they have to be in every project that you ever do? Um, some, some people might say, well, you know, I'm doing a quiz. What are you really doing? You're checking my knowledge or are you just testing my short-term um, recall? Um, you know, what, what benefit does it bring? What value does it add? So um, I thought I'd put that question to you. Because writing, writing quiz questions, writing, writing assessments is not easy, you know. You get to pick who you want to answer that. Normally oh. we pick So rather than us jump in, we will oh. all share, I reckon. But put someone in <laughs> the hot seat. <laughs> Hannah, are you ready? Oh, pressure. Okay. Um. I think so when you design learning or training solutions, I think the most important thing to focus on is what would they have to do in the real world or what actions would they need to take to be successful at the end of the learning experience. So when I'm designing a learning solution, I just think, okay, what are the actions that my learners need to take and what would be the best way to show them how to take those actions? So in some instances, it could be a quiz if I think that's a good way for them to practice. But for other learning solutions, I might think it'd be better for them to go out into the real world. So I might have an action like go out and try this, go have a conversation with your supervisor about this or practice with a buddy. So for me, it's like very dependent on what the actions are that they need to take and what would be the most realistic way for them to practice taking those actions. So when they're in the real world, they're more likely to be able to do it because it reflects reality. So mm. yeah, I think for me, it really depends on what the action is. And mm. if I think it will add value for them to practice through a quiz. Mm. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Does that answer your question? It, it, it does. It does. It, it helps me reflect on well, what is it that, what, what's the behavior that we're trying to change here? Mm. And does the, does an assessment, or, or going out and speaking to an expert in the field or someone who's been in the business or the industry longer, 
um, you know, testing your, testing your, um, what you've, what you've, what you've absorbed through the training, going and reflect through that expert and just, you know, check your knowledge that way. Yeah, I like it. It's really thinking differently. It's not saying that, you know, uh, the learning that we typically know as is, um, uh, you know, being there and um, sitting in front of a computer for hours, you know, it's taking it out into the real world and, and just really stretching your muscles and, and, and testing it out there. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, thank you. Helps to reflect. Mm -hmm. mm, very good. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's important to always question our intent. Whatever mm -hmm. the task that we're doing is what is our intent of this? And when we have stakeholders that are like, there must be a quiz and it's 10 questions. It's like, well, why? Mm. why do we need a quiz like what is behind what are you trying to measure what are you trying to change what are you trying to hold people accountable to so there are a couple of questions that you can talk to your stakeholders around how will this add value to the mm. goal that we're trying to achieve through this mm. solution? Mm. Mm. yeah very good I'll like just it. shout out because uh, for further learning for yes. Nicole and anyone else that's curious about the scenario questions and um, they are really effective so although it's quizzes and stuff that we're talking about and assessments you could just build your learning based on that and not have any pre-information and just do like a multiple choice quiz but it can be scenario based so we actually have a resource on the creator hub and I think it's writing effective scenario questions the link will be in the description mm -hmm. of this video but that's a good resource if you want to write better scenario questions or write better multiple choice quizzes or assessments as well. Mm. Further learning. Because mm. um, a concept that I've been sort of thinking about lately is rather than having those formative or, or summative assessments, having a reflection piece at the end during the module, at the end of the module, um, and almost have an executive summary. So, you know, these are the key takeaways that, you know, we feel that you need to take back to the workplace um, because what we're wanting to do here is change some of your behaviour or, or change some of the, um, the approach that you take to your work. So, yeah, it's different schools of thought. But, yeah, I agree with Hannah um, that, you know, it is comes down to the, the topic and, and what we're trying to do at that time. So, yeah, thank you, guys. Good. Question one tick. <laughs> so I've done my human centered design and I've gone out and I've spoken to those speaking to those at the coalface the people that will actually be doing the training before I've actually started writing things thank you and um I've got some, I've got a project goal where we've got a question that we would like answered by the end of the training course. And I've written a 45 minute storyboard and I've submitted that to the subject matter expert and the, st and the stakeholders. And they were saying, mm, we're actually wanting a 90 minute piece. Like, well, I've covered everything that needed to be covered. Um, do I push back, you know, professionally, of course, and just say, well, look, you know, everything's covered. Um, why do we need that it's extra training? Why are you looking to pad it out? So I'm, I guess I'm looking for some, for some strategies or some thinking around, hey, we've got everything covered. Do we really need to find another 45 minutes? Victoria? 
Um, well, I kind of think that is a bit similar to your first question, um, especially if you do have like your project goal or success statement or whatever it is figured out already, like using that to go back and question the stakeholders and ask mm. what they think might be missing from the story. Like, to me, the 90 minute thing is kind of like saying we need a quiz or something like that. It's just jumping straight to the solution. It's not looking at what the actual problem is that you're trying to solve. So yeah, I would kind of reflect back on what your the question or goal that you have is with the stakeholders and ask like is there something from the existing 45 minute storyboard that you think is missing or that hasn't been mm. met and look at it that way and then maybe then there is an extra few minutes or something you need to add on but not just like assuming straight away we need it to be 90 minutes or we need it is or whatever it is like look at the actual problem you're trying mm. to solve um and use the questions like Kim was saying before like what's the intent of doing it for having it go for 90 minutes or like what is the extra things that they want to achieve that weren't in the initial mm. um yeah mm. <laughs> that's really good I agree Vic love that 100 percent. we were actually we we're talking about this in our human-centered design cohort I think it was a couple of weeks ago wasn't it Kim where someone asked like how long should a module be or how long should a training course be and from our perspective, it doesn't matter how long it is. It's just around whether it adds value or not. So like if someone wants a course to be go for 90 minutes, like why? What's the intent behind that? And potentially it does go for 90 minutes. And if every single part of that course adds value, then that's awesome. Or it could last for two minutes. So maybe that's all that's required for them to get the information that they need to change their behavior. But yeah, I think Victoria was on point. It's just around if they want it for 90 minutes, just asking how how will that help us to meet your goal? And then it just helps them think because they're like, oh, actually, I don't know how it will help me to meet my goal. Like, why do I even want it to be 90 minutes and help them think through their own mm. um, thinking? So I think 100% like don't just say, yeah, let's make it 90 minutes, like ask some questions and help them to understand why they want it to be that length. Mm. whether it'll add value because yeah I totally agree because there is some thinking out there that the quantity of training is equal equal to the quality of training mm. so that's not always the case um but I totally agree with everything you're saying there yeah um yeah awesome well yeah we're talking in the HCD cohort I don't know if you know Joe Rogan the podcaster on YouTube I don't believe that I do I will write that down well, you don't need to watch, but yeah, the point of it is some of his, he is like, I think he is one of the most famous podcasters in the world. Like everyone listens to him and some of his conversations will go for like three to four hours, but he is like really, really successful. So when people say that people like have a short attention span and can't listen to something for that amount of time, like if it adds value and he does add value, people will listen for three to four hours. So it's just like, it doesn't matter about the time. It's just what value it brings. Mm. Yeah, I mm. believe that. Mm. That's very cool. I must check out that podcast. I love podcasts. So that sounds amazing. So he's obviously got he, he, she, sorry, Joe he, Rogan. He, he yeah. must have some sort of formula, like I guess Ira, Cla uh, Ira Glass. He has this real fantastic formula of, a hook at the beginning of the podcast so why is this helps me appreciate 
hey, this podcast is really worth my while. This is really worth my mm. investment of time. This is something that I'm going to get out of. So it's, I guess it comes back to that um, adult learning principles as well, doesn't mm. it? So, yeah, I must check that out. Thank you. A three-hour podcast, that would be quite quite a thing to go from go to woe. But, yeah, that sounds pretty <laughs> cool. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I wanted to give Bell Vista Studios a shout-out. Um, uh, the content that you have on YouTube and the insights and the shares that you have with the community. Thank you again for doing that. Um, during COVID, it was great to um, walk to my local coffee shop and um, listen to your backlog of YouTube um, insights and some of the, 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 uh, the live streams that you had on, um, um, on Instagram as well. It was a great way to um, enjoy that stroll and get my coffee and, and listen to you guys and, and share your experiences and knowledge. So yeah, thank you. So yeah, great. Wow. Thanks. Thank no you. Problem. Thanks for choosing to learn with us. We're just oh, great. <laughs> <no>. <laughs> it was great. I was only just reflecting the other day that, um, you know, we've just had the tennis here in, in Melbourne and you've got these junior players, these young professionals that are coming through and they've got their coaches and they've got their mentors and they've got their team. And then you look at the other end of, you know, you've got your top 10 and top five players. I mean, they're at the top of their game. And, you know, they've been in, they've been professional players for a while, but, you know, they still have mentors, they still have coaches, they still have a team around them that help keep them on track and, and, you know, identify those bad habits that might creep in and help and help those players um, be the best that they could be. So um, mm -hmm. strange analogy that I just used there, but yeah, um, it's great to have that sort of help reset your thinking and help shape what you're doing and, and keep yourself on track as well. So Bell Vista Studios, you help help me do that. So yeah, awesome. Thank you. Well, you're doing it for us now as well. Like your <laughs> questions are challenging our thinking and that's like why we do it as well as uh, to be held accountable to the world to challenge our thinking because we get in our little box and the three of us, but you here, I'm sure like the girls are, I know I'm sweating a little bit, you know, like, so you don't know what's going to come up and it is yeah. challenging to think about, okay, well, what is going on in Nicole's world and what's her experience and how is it different from ours? Mm. And what is she seeking to learn? And can we add value? Mm. And yeah, can we translate? And even I'm listening to Victoria and Hannah and I'm so proud of their answers because I'm like, that's awesome because the work that we've put in as a team is shining through for me to be proud of the responses that they're giving. So mm. it's just nice. a lot of love. There's so much love right now. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You can go on. This is all about you, Nicole. So. Oh, that's a bit special. Um, <laughs> I'm a perfectionist and I've written the storyboard twice. And I'm starting to self-doubt a bit and I'm really wondering whether this storyboard is going to add value. Um, do I swallow my doubt and present it to the client or, or the manager or the stakeholder or the SME? Is there some sort of magic bullet that tells me when a storyboard is ready to go? Or do I just learn from my um, experience and just keep pushing through? That's certainly a question that I had when I was starting out and I'm sure there are other people out in the industry that have the same question as well. So I'm, I'm asking that on behalf of a lot of other people. Even us sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I probably have the exact same question because Kim and I literally spoke about that yesterday where I really struggle to finalise a task because I do, I'm a perfectionist as well and I want to get everything exactly right. 
So sometimes I'll send Kim like four versions. Like I'll be like, yep, this is the final one. And then I'll send another version just because I'm like, oh no, I think I need to adjust this and just keep making updates. So I 100% understand where you're coming from, Nicole, but I will not answer that question because I do not know myself. <laughs> so Kim or Victoria, <laughs> if you have any insight, that would be great. Vic, you go first. <laughs> um, I don't know if I'm the best to answer it either. <laughs> okay. I apply this myself. Um, I have talked about it a bit recently with like any kind of self-doubt, whether it's with work or personal or whatever it is, like specific tasks or projects or could be anything. Um, but I guess always like taking the time to reflect and think like why, what evidence do I have that, that, that the storyboard isn't good enough or that, I don't know, one page of it doesn't quite meet the goal like is there actually an evidence when you look at what goal you're trying to achieve and what you've created or are you just thinking this isn't like I'm not good enough this isn't good enough or whatever mm. like that might be um because I know when we do our storyboards we do have like an individual goal or something we want to meet for each slide basically um and that's like our point of reference once we've written the content for it or designed it or whatever it is to look back on that goal and think does this content meet that um like has it achieved that and I think if you look at it like that you'll know then whether or not it's good enough like does it meet the goal or does it not mm. and I think yeah everything like all of that content there answers that 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 goal or whatever it is mm. Mm. like then it yeah. is just from saying it's good enough maybe I don't know. <laughs> no that was really good that was really good really good it's it's if I could just quickly jump in there Victoria you've just made me I just had an, a light bulb moment there like if you're writing slide per slide it's almost like well can I explain something in 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 a 30 second slide as opposed to a two minute slide you know mm. and that would typically be the judge as well um, something that I've just recently started doing is um, I'll write a piece and then I'll actually use my mobile phone and I'll record myself and I'll listen back. And that helps me sort of turn the tide on the difference between what's something that's written or what's actually something that sounds like it's been spoken. And then by listening back, it helps me go, well, I've just repeated myself there or um, that didn't actually quite make sense. So it really, I personally think, brings it even more back to that human-centeredness. It doesn't sound like a textbook so much. It actually mm -hmm. sounds like a person is, is speaking. Um, well, we use a lot of narration anyway. So, yeah, that helps. But, yeah, yeah Victoria, thank you for that. You just like that slide and writing to that slide and, and thinking about the intention, attention span of, of typical people or like myself. You know, if you haven't got that information articulated, I think, within the first... 30 seconds, 45 seconds, and, mm. and maybe maybe I'm waffling a bit like I am now. But, yeah, thank you. <laughs> That's really cool. I like the idea of recording it too. I haven't thought of that before. But I think yeah. that sometimes you do get stuck in, like, the actual words on the page, um, especially if you do, if you are rereading it 200 times. Yeah. <laughs> getting it right. I think that is a good, like, way of looking at it a bit differently. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Kim might have more <laughs> suggestions. Yeah. No, I think you've covered, I believe what you said, Vic, is really like just useful is what evidence do I have mm. to believe this to be true? And being able to identify behind 
it is a fact right now, or this is some story or some meaning that I'm making up myself. Mm-hmm. And then when you figure out, okay, it, I'm making this up. This is just my head telling me you're not good enough and all that kind of stuff. What Vic said was having being very clear on your goal or the intent. So we have an overall project goal, but each screen, if we're thinking about a storyboard example, continuing here, each in our storyboard, we have an intent or a goal for every screen and we have that written down. So each sentence we put in, is that meeting the goal or not? So if we can go through it and trust our process, I think that takes the pressure off us and the human shit that comes out. So Mm -hmm. then we just trust the process and go, yep, I'm meeting the objective of that screen. I'm satisfied that everything adds value to that. If it doesn't add value, I take it out. Next screen. And you just break it down step by step. Mm-hmm. Because then when you finish your storyboard, say it's got 20 slides in the PowerPoint, you can feel confident that the work that you've done added value to each screen, which then meets that overall goal. So I feel like that is just when you can trust the process, uh, it allows you to kind of, release any stories and meaning that you're making from stuff because at the end of the day your work everything perfectionism your version of what perfect looks like is subjective it is so the four of us would have so different opinions Mm. on what perfect looks like so therefore does perfect even exist no but how do we hold ourselves accountable to produce quality work Make sure that we're hitting that goal at every point of the project or the task that we're undertaking. Mm. Agreed. I think I like what's useful as well that you've taught me, Kim, is because sometimes I think like, oh, what if there's spelling mistakes or what if there's double spaces, like little things like that play on my mind. I'm really worried I'm going to leave something like that in the storyboard. So we do like we'll check the whole storyboard for just double spaces so it's like you're in you're present to that task you're not reading the content or worrying about whether the content makes sense or if it meets the goal and if you do each of those tasks individually you can be present in that moment to that specific task because I know sometimes I'll go through and I'll be looking for spelling mistakes and then I'll be like oh wait that doesn't make sense and then I'll update the sentence and then I'm like wait did I check the spelling on the next paragraph and then I get overwhelmed So I think breaking up the tasks as well is really useful. Mm. Mm. It's it's pretty easy for me personally to get distracted. I'm I'm looking at typing mistakes and then typos, and then I find myself rewriting a paragraph, and then I'm finding myself I'm you know going and doing something else. So I've forgotten (laughs) forgotten what it actually was that I started out to do. So um, something that someone told me years and years ago. back in the days when we used to print out things and we didn't have iPads and that sort of stuff. If you've got a printed copy of something, um, actually turn it upside down and read it upside down. And that helps the eye sort of find things that wouldn't normally, because you go into this muscle memory, don't you? Mm. And you don't see those typos and you don't see those spaces in between words. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Mm. I'm just thinking of a resource to help people. We've got that QA checklist on the Creator Hub. Uh-huh. It's a free resource. And so is the scenario one. Mm-hmm. And um, it, I think it's more specific to QAing and e-learning module, but it literally is like you're focusing on alignment right now. And it, you just go through every screen for alignment on the left and the right. Are all the headings the same font? And then are all, is the body text the same font? 
So it really helps you get down to a granular level mm. to produce higher quality work mm. because it, there's less errors throughout. Mm. Mm. And I think the overall end product, you know, taking the time to actually um, wanting to correct those little little things just adds up to a higher quality piece of work. I mm. think you, it, learners appreciate it. Learners can see it. It's mm. yeah, it speaks volumes. Just those little one and two percenters. Yeah. Yeah, mm. I agree. Mm. Question. Question four. Four. <laughs> um, huge fan of Kathy Moore. I think she's amazing. Mm. Love her work. Um, and the um, action mapping flowchart, often have that in front of me just to make sure, especially in the early stages when I start speaking to a stakeholder or a subject matter expert. Um, so here's a hypothetical, but it's pretty close to my current dilemma. So anyway, um, indulge me, please. Um, gone through the action mapping and it's looking like that it's actually a cultural or an environmental. It's not necessarily a skills gap or that kind of thing. So, um, yeah. After speaking with the subject matter expert and some staff, it's looking like it's a cultural thing. And following Kathy Moore's um, action mapping plan, it's kind of like, well, it's, it might look like that training won't be the solution here. I was wondering if you could share any insights or any reflections, or if you were happy to share any of your experiences of, of, of of maybe a similar situation. Sorry if I'm putting you on the spot or if I'm asking you to give some um, information you're not comfortable about. Um, but yeah, I just thought, yeah. It's all right, we'll just stop recording and see you later. Kim? What is your, what, okay, so you've done the good work. Well done, first of all. Um, <laughs> So it's come up that it is a cultural or environmental issue. What are the specifics that have revealed? Let's actually use your one right now. Okay. So it's really quite topical in Australia at the moment. Um, you know, the really sad events, alleged events that have, have happened in Canberra, Parliament House. So, you know, and there's a lot of respect and equity adverts that are happening in, in Victoria. I don't know about Queensland around respecting women and, you know, trying to, um, you know, have an equal um, playing field and, you know, respect people and, you know, um, try not to stand over people and, you know, everyone deserves to be heard and everyone has the right to feel safe at work. Mm. So, um, you know, there's, there's a potential that, you know, well, what, what, you know, as a subject matter expert, think, well, okay, well, um, obviously I need to get some training out there because, you know, this is something that, Obviously, it may have happened in our workplace. We may have had reports or, hey, this is quite topical at the moment and I want to create a culture of, of um, caring and, and empathy in my organisation. So I want to nip it in the bud to make sure that this may not happen. I want to show my workforce that I'm being proactive and, you know, I'm, I'm conscious that this might be a thing. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that, that's the angle. That's, the, that's where I'm coming from, yeah. Yeah. Are there any other specifics around the actual cultural stuff? Uh, like, because what I, so a couple of the things you're saying is like, 
respect women. And I actually don't, I'm not following this story, so I'm not aware of it. So no right problem. now I'm just being an instructional designer. Sure. But um, I guess the benefit there is we just, I can be curious, right? Yeah. And apply instructional design to support you, hopefully. Um, <laughs> so what I'm hearing is that at the moment, we need to put out, someone is telling you we need training to help our workforce, respect women, get some equity happening and people to feel safe at work, okay? And with that, I guess, and you have, you're getting a sense of, you know, there are some things we can train and there are some things we can't train. So I think it's a really good idea. Like my process there would be to go, what are the things we can train and what are the things we can't train? So within respecting women and um, being feeling safe at work, there are actually actions and behaviors, which is what Kathy Moore talks about that we can focus on in training. So we need to really identify what they are, Nicole. And the easiest thing for me to distinguish between, is this a cultural, a knowledge or a skill thing that I can train is the question which you probably have heard in our videos. If I was a fly on the wall, what would I see people do? Because safe at work, for example, is a feel thing. I feel comfortable walking through the front doors saying hi to people or when I'm walking through the front doors I am like I don't want to be here today I hate my job I want to get out of here right so at a very that is a that's a feely thing yeah which we can't train however sure. what we can train if I was a fly on the wall how can we make that person feel comfortable walking through the doors well it might look like greeting everyone in the corridor that you meet with eye contact and saying, hey, and smiling. Like that is a at the smallest level, it is mm. a behavior we can train. Mm. So is our train training on the skills of being uh, a better human, such as smiling, in, in uh, like, what do you call it? Including people and asking them, this is a skill. Would you like to sit with us at lunch today? You know, so what I would be doing is working out if I was a fly on the wall, what would I see people do so that I can identify this is all the stuff that we can train on. And then we'll also have a list of other things that are cultural things. Mm. And then what we have is it might come out in a word document, right? Where, okay, we can do training on these things, but we've also identified these levers here that if we change them in the cultural space, that will have a bigger impact over time. But I believe as the instructional designer, it's out of the scope of your training solution. But if you really care, Mr. Boss or Mrs. Boss, about making this a safe work environment and all the things that you're saying are important, we actually need to take a pause and scope this out as a problem that we are committed at FitGov to solve. Mm. Mm. and it's kind of putting it out there as a separate conversation so we can and that will be the whole thing around do we do the training you know do you want us to still go ahead with the training this kind mm. of comes down to do they care about solving the problem or are they just trying to show up and pretend that they care about the particular problem mm. so we can create the training on these things and this mm. is what it's kind of covered because through our work and our process our action mapping we've discovered that mm. But really, if we want to change the culture here at our organization or as um, a country or as a society, 
we actually need to focus on these things. Mm. And I would use a story. Um, there's a really good book that I've just finished called Upstream. Uh, I can't remember the author, but it's a blue cover with like a little, um, those things that they throw into the ocean. What are they when you, someone's drowning? Love boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got one of them on the front. So Upstream. And what it talks about is solving problems before they even begin. So if this is where a story will come in and help support your argument for this is bigger than training. Training is not going to solve this. Mm. So a story is in the book they use it where they go, your house is broken into and your keys and phone and wallet are taken. Now, to solve the problem in future, what they could do is install alarms, right? And lock your door when you go out so that it doesn't happen again. Cool. But what if we, that person, say they're a 17-year-old or a 30-year-old that broke in, why did they break in in the first place? What is it about their life, their environment that has led them to do that action? What if we worked on that? What happened in their school life? What happened when they were a younger kid? And then if we go upstream again, what was it about their upbringing, the parents, whether they were present or not, and the things that they nurtured in that person, their child at a young age, and what do we need to focus on if it was a single mum, for example, that would have supported her better to nurture and love her child so that when they were 17 or 30, they didn't have the need to break into someone's house. Mm. So we can tell stories like this to go, wouldn't it be cool if we had an impact in this way? Mm. Mm. And yeah, I guess mm. that's a little bit of it. Mm. Um and another part of it is just focusing on how do we replicate the real world, mm. which is what we spoke about earlier. Mm. Mm. That's where I'm sitting. I feel like I'll get yeah. too deep into it. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, what just, does that bring up for you? Um, it, yeah, I think you've. I think you're really onto something there, and that that book sounds amazing. It's um, and it's when you were speaking there, I was thinking. Mm, so it's almost like a business unit or a manager or even an employee. It's something that we could consider about building your brand as a professional at work. So not only if I'm an employee and I'm building my brand and that might come through, you know, some kind of, um, I don't know what that might look like to at this point to actually help someone consider or reflect on what their brand is like at work. Am I the person that walks down the co corridor in the morning and doesn't make eye contact? And just by simply making eye contact can make a difference and it can start to build my brand as someone that it might be approachable and it might mm -hmm. be that person that walks past me. They go, oh, okay, there's obviously a window there to start a work relationship with that person. Mm -hmm. That's what So it's, it, yeah, building the brand and a bit of self-reflection and whether that might look like some sort of fun explainer video or a scenario-based explainer video that might help spark some thought or reflection. Mm -hmm. um, but also when you were talking about that, I was thinking, well, you know, it's upstream, but it's also downstream as well. You know, it's and there are, as you said, there are some aspects that probably could be fleshed out that would present itself as training. But there is another bigger picture going on. So it sort of reminded me of like 
it's not just one big ship that's going from A to B, like this is where we are now and this is where we want to be. It's almost like you've got your big ship and you've got a whole lot of, lot of support ships mm-hmm. or boats going along with mm-hmm. that main journey. And what I end up producing for this particular um, project, if it does come my way, that I would be a boat helping support that bigger boat or, or fleet of boats to... Another bad analogy. I'm, I've got a reputation. Oh, I love in, that. In that makes so much yeah. sense. Yeah, you really helped me shape my thinking there. That's just, um, yeah, mic drop. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. That's nice. good. Yeah. And I think this, like, it sounds like a big problem to solve, right? And maybe it's not just your role, Nicole. Like, mm. this is a, maybe you're the enabler yeah. of this shift and the facilitator mm. of it. So what that looks like is, you know, you used the language earlier around like the human-centered design activities. This is you stepping up mm. to holistically solve the problem from a human-centered perspective. Mm. So instead of that one ship, yep, there's many other support ships, which means that, you know, get your key stakeholders and who are they mm. across the different parts of the business. And this is a non-siloed activity from your team or your specific role. You're just leading it from a curiosity place and Mm. enabling by uh, you have the process right that will get the right people in the room to solve this problem together it is a collective problem to solve but you have the skills to do that and that is the true value of an L&D or an organizational development team to prove the value that they contribute to the business Mm. And then it looks like what you're describing is, yeah, we're going to have like lunch and learns and we're going to have posters and we're going to have reflection journals sitting in the lunch hall. And we're going to have, I'm going like really yeah. just uh, very plain solutions, but like rich retreats for specific groups of the organization and we'll have training and we'll have animations and we'll have a podcast but it opens up all these possibilities because we know that training is not the answer. So we need to basically flood people with where we want them to be. So, you know, and I guess a good analogy, well, I don't know, maybe it's not gonna turn out as a good analogy, but you're feeling in a bad mood or you're feeling in a funk and you can choose to listen to your sad music that holds you there, right? Mm. Or if you're like, okay, I'm. I've li- listened to my pink, like, you know, her whiny ones. That's my, actually, I'm wearing a pink shirt today. Um, <laughs> so um, like sometimes you're like in your kind of funk and your emotion yeah. and then you're like, okay, I'm ready to get out of this. And what do you do? You put on some music that amps you and you keep listening to that and it lifts you up. Well, essentially that's what we're doing as a learning and development mm. um, like team is we're trying to flood people with, the right behaviors or the expected behaviors from all different avenues. So they, it just naturally happens that they become a better human being or that Mm. personal brand comes out through Mm. everything that they're like touched Mm. by. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Kim. That's amazing. As you mentioned, it is a very big apple to take a bite out of, but you know, in some small way, what that might look like, um, you know, contributing to, the picture or contributing holistically to the bigger picture you know it is achievable it is doable yeah thank you for helping get my thinking around that a bit better that was really great good awesome um fourth tick (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, I do have a, a follow-up question, um, if you have the capacity to, to um, it's probably because I'm coming from my perspective of being a content developer more so than an instructional designer. Um, taking, making instructional or, or making content and making learning a bit different, you know, how, how far can you, how far do you dare to step outside the box? So typically training is you would go to your RISE course or your, uh, your storyline or whatever uh, authoring tool you use and you click next, click next. I mean, that's pretty traditional and you have 150 words on page, all that sort of stuff. But why not start to think a bit differently, have um, stop animation with paper cutout figures in a zombie apocalypse? I mean, you know, it sparks engagement, it sparks curiosity. Um, is there, is there, is that something that um, we should uh, feel more confident in doing and putting it out there and asking the question? Or, or, or should we keep, no, training is training and, and we're going to take this seriously and um, maybe, and it might lean towards being a bit dry, but that's okay. Um, effective learning happened. I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on that. Who wants to answer? Do you want to go, Vic, or? <laughs> yeah, You've me? been called on. You have been okay. back. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, I think that's really interesting. It's cool to think about other ways that we could do training. And we, our team has been trying to do that. So think outside of the box. But I think the best way of figuring out what will actually add value. So whether a zombie apocalypse module would add value is to speak to the users or speak to the learners. So for us, we would conduct user interviews and we'd want to understand our audience more and understand what motivates them and engages them. So if we discovered that they are motivated or engaged by games or they're like a hum they're into humor or they're more casual or they're more formal, I think it's, really cool to think of different ideas if it aligns with your end user. So uh, activity that we do that helps us think outside of the box. And I think we do come up with some pretty cool ideas that are human centered and will help people learn or make their life easier is we have like a random word generator and we will brainstorm. So we'll understand who our audience is. We'll have that front of mind. We know what our goal is. So we have that front of mind as well. And then we have a generator that'll just bring up random words. So it might say like car. So then we all try and brainstorm and think what's a solution that would be related to a car that'll help us meet our goal and add value to our end user. And it really helps us think outside of the box. And yeah, it changes like e-learning courses too. It could be like messages on the mugs at work that remind them, or it could be like a poster on the lunch table where they can read through and think about how to hold different conversations or something like that or what's some other examples we've come up with Kim because we did it not long ago um like cards they can go through or mm. so yeah I think it is really cool to think of different ways to do it as long as it adds value to the end user and motivates them as individuals yeah not shiny for the sake of shiny yeah mm. what mm. do you what do you think? What do you think, Nicole? 
I think that's just what you've said is 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 amazing. Um, you you reminded me back. You reminded me of my graphic design days um, when I was going through art college. It's like you've been presented with the the challenge of creating a logo for a company. Well, as a graphic designer, what is it that you do to actually start that logo design process? Well, you write down key words, you write down key colors, you write down what's fit for purpose for that audience. So I've just had an aha moment. I had that in my brain all along, but, you know, yeah. it didn't even occur to me to apply that to instructional design and e-learning. So thank you for that. That's some, cool. It's definitely something that I will start to pick up on. Yeah. But yeah, you, you, you're quite right. You know, getting to taking that human-centered design approach and actually speaking with those people who will ultimately be consuming your training, getting a feel for them, getting a feel for what it is, their work environment, um, mm. how they're best going to learn, how they're best going to consume that 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 training, um, will help form and and shape. And I guess even just hearing myself um, reflect on what you just said, you know it's no harm in asking them, hey, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about doing X, Y, Z thing. What are your thoughts on that? And they would go, oh, that sounds really bad. Or that sounds mm -hmm. really boring. Or no, that sounds really cool. You know, that's, uh, yeah. So, you know, why not take that opportunity as you're speaking to, to the learners to get a feel for what the end, uh, what the theme or what the, uh, what the characters mm. or what design you might end up using. So, yeah, thank you for that, Hannah. Mm. Oh, good. Awesome. What what do you think, Kim and Victoria? You go, Vic. <laughs> I think the only thing I'd add is I know that we have done it in the past as well, um, like when we're brainstorming, is trying to think of, um, instead of trying to think of a solution that fits within like storyline or rise specifically, it's just thinking like what would be the absolute best solution we could create if there was like no money constraints, no time constraints. Mm. Or, um like make a list of like what would be the absolute best way we could train this and then obviously when you are restricted by certain things like pulling it back in a bit but trying to replicate whatever that best idea was within the tool you need to use all the time that you have all the money that like you can spend on it basically mm. um, so like going big first and then pulling it back in instead of just thinking oh it's got it has to be storyline or it has to be rise or whatever yeah. it is yeah um, figure out what the best thing is and then See how you can replicate that best yeah. as best as you can within whatever constraints you have totally yep love that thanks victoria yeah I, I would just um add from a mindset perspective i just encourage people to not have all the answers like mm -hmm. we instructional designers are problem solvers it is our role to extract information, the right information. And all we have to do is be curious and facilitate a process. So for us, that's our human-centered design playbook. And it, all we have to do is we know that it works and we just have to facilitate that process because the answers are out there. It doesn't have to be Kim Tui's only perspective on the world and only person working on a storyboard and only person brainstorming solutions. It is going out there and extracting the information because it exists already. We need to co-create. So we just need to facilitate a process. So I would encourage people to have a mindset shift that we are problem solvers and problem solvers don't have the answers, but they know how to get the answers. Love it. 
100%. Cool. Was that your final question, Nicole? I think it was. Uh, yes, it was. Thank you, guys. Amazing. Cool. Thank you. Thank you so much. They were like really cool questions and it's definitely helped me personally think about things different and talking it out with all of you has been really good. So yeah, well done. Cause I often, we can't think of questions. We're like, what can we ask? But that was so refreshing to have you here and like for you to come with those questions. So that was, yeah, amazing. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. Cool. I think we might, are you happy to wrap it up, Kim? Go for it. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you everyone for listening. It's been an absolutely incredible episode. We've had Nicole here asking questions. So much value has come out of this episode and I know that you're going to get value from it. So yeah, I'm feeling super excited and it's been an awesome episode. And thanks again, Nicole, for joining us. Thank you.